It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Smart Money Questions Podcast. Another one rolling at you. Walter Storholt here alongside Matt Hausman, the founder of Old Security Group, serving you in Westchester, PA, Newark, Delaware, and all across the country digitally. You can find us online at smartmoneyquestions.com. Matt, what's going on, my friend? How are you? Hey, buddy. Listen, I was just thinking about something, and be prepared. I'm going to throw something at you right now, <laughs> but I'm going to flip the script. Oh, okay. I'm going to flip the script, and I'm going to be the interviewer, and you're going to be the one answering the question. Oh, so, no. and here's the question. And, and just to let the audience know, he has no idea what I'm getting ready to ask him. So this is completely okay. ad lib, which Not, usually is the best, right? Okay. So this isn't for the whole podcast, Matt. This is just, just for the beginning. Is that that right? Th- this is just for the beginning. Okay. All right. And, you had, you had as, me as nervous did, there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and as I mentioned, he has no idea what question I'm getting ready to ask. But the question, Walter, is this, how do you actually win the bid when putting in a offer to buy real estate and you win the bid yet you weren't the highest bid. How well, do you actually do that? It's funny that you asked the question cause we have just gone through this in fact. So your timing is uncanny and seriously, Matt did not <laughs> tell me he was going to ask this question before the podcast today. I'll tell you how we did it. We were not the highest bid on the new house that we just bought, but we wrote a personal letter had an inkling, had a feeling that the sellers of this particular home, just based on a couple of different kind of uh, clues, if you want to call them that, were a bit emotional, that they had an emotional attachment to this home, just kind of knowing their circumstances. So we wrote a letter, and it wasn't a fake letter, just a nice heartfelt letter about our impressions of the home and that kind of thing. And wouldn't you know it, it worked. They said that our letter was the difference in the transaction and that we reminded them a lot of themselves when they were first moving into that home, their kind of stage in life. And they said that they liked the attitude and tone in which our letter was written. And it made a huge difference. And that's why they selected our bid. And I don't know if that's the right answer or one you were looking for, but that's how we did it. (laughs) I think that is brilliant. Just to let the audience know, he just told me that before we went to record. And, you know, when we talk about smart money questions, a lot of it is making sure that we're looking at things in different lenses or from different angles. And I just think, I don't know if you decided to do that on your own, if it was your realtor, if it was your wife, I think that is brilliant as a way to be able to get the home. Obviously, that's a home you guys really wanted and being able to position it in a way to be able to, you know, you kind of knew what the owners were looking for because they, if they've been there for an extended period of time, I know when my wife and I bought our house, there was an emotional attachment. They'd been there, they'd raised their kids there and they were in that transition kind of downsizing. So maybe this couple was the same way and and you guys, I just, I think that's awesome. They had moved there in, uh, back in the early nineties from England. And this was the first home that they bought in the United States, got relocated for work purposes to the U.S. And this was the first home that they've bought and they've been there ever since. And they raised their family there. He's had some health problems the last uh, several years. And so they just haven't been able to kind of keep up with the maintenance on the home. And it's just gotten to be a little bit too much for them to be able to handle. And so I kind of figured that they'd been there for so long and 
based on the fact that they'd raised their kids there. And they, they just seemed like uh, we saw pictures of St. Bernard's on the wall. And so we figured that they probably were, you know, animal lovers. So we might have included a picture of our dogs in the letter, you know, just to <laughs> <laughs> find some more common oh, ground, awesome. you know. But it was great. And what's really neat is they wrote us a letter back. So they wrote oh, us. That's a, even better. It was that's, pretty that cool. Is so cool. Yeah, they wrote us a letter back, and they've invited us over to you know to to have drinks one night before the move actually takes place, so they can give us the lay of the land of the home and show us you know a couple of you know tricks of the neighborhood and that kind of thing, just to kind of be up to speed on everything and you know sort of a passing of the torch of the home. So it's very different from you know what our first transaction was like when we bought our first home. You know that was very just business like. Never met the other sellers. Never had any communication with them. It was, you know, all very sterile, if you will. This just took on the tone of a more emotional transaction from the very beginning. And I think it's interesting to have have experienced both kinds of those transactions. It's just neat to see the differences. And I don't think there's a right answer or wrong answer to one of them. It's just, can you kind of operate in both of those modes? And and we've kind of found a way so far to do that. Here's another question for you. I just thought about as you were, as you were saying that because they wrote a letter back to you, and you're going to be sitting down and having a conversation, maybe over a glass of wine or a pint or something, is will there now be an immediate, more emotional attachment to the home as you're in that process of moving into it? I think so. Absolutely. I think we're already there. <laughs> you know, I think we're, <laughs> we're, we're already, because we're already thinking about how we're going to make it our own and some of the upgrades and things like that that we're going to do to it. And kind of full disclosure here, Matt, this is what's kind of interesting. You know, so as you know, I don't know if our listeners know, I, I live in North Carolina. And so we were actually very close to moving out of the state. We were going to maybe go out west, maybe go to the beach. We, you know, we had a couple of different ideas of where we might go. We were even entertaining the thought of moving up to Maine. We were kind of bouncing all over the place because we've lived in North Carolina our, our, our whole lives pretty much. Even though we're, we're pretty well traveled to other areas just in terms of living, it's always been in North Carolina. But we decided because all of our family is here now and, you know, we're kind of at that stage of life where we're going to be starting a family in the next year or so after my wife finishes grad school. We decided, you know what, let's just stay kind of in this area of North Carolina. Just, you know, we just have too many things that are are worthwhile sticking around for rather than to just kind of move on a whim. We can still travel if we want to go experience these different places. And we were really only looking for a home that would suffice for the next, you know, five to 10 years. We were kind of looking for that five to 10 year house. As soon as we saw this home and we're already, our mind is spinning of not to say forever home, but it's a home that I could see us living in for a very long time. If we like it, you know, once you get in there, you'd never know until you really live in it. But we can see the potential there that it that it's for a forever home. And that's what we said in the letter was we set out on this journey looking for a five-year home. We think we may have found a forever home. And I think that was one of the things that resonated with the, with the seller, too. So I think that, that right there shows you that there's probably an emotional attachment to the home already. Wow, that is, that is just, I think that is so cool. So uh, hopefully our listeners out there can actually see there through a different lens. As you said, the first transaction you had was very was very sterile, very business-like. You might not even have seen the sellers at the at the closing table. You could have done it remotely. Exactly. Um, but but in this particular case, being able to have that emotional attachment now to the sellers, who you might end up knowing now for years to come, because of thinking outside the box and 
and sending that letter. Was that your idea or was that the realtor's idea? Yeah, the realtor uh, is the one who suggested writing the letter. They said that they've, you know, they said it may not work. It may not have an impact at all. I mean, if our bid had been a lot lower, I'm sure it wouldn't have worked, you know, but when it was close, the letter went out. And that's what they said, that they've, they've seen situations where someone who was had a good offer, but maybe not quite as high as the highest offer, has been able to win out from time to time. And our, our situation just happened to be one of those. But the other Realtor actually emailed our Realtor and said, I want you to know just how big of a difference that letter made. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the, that the letters don't matter in this business. Because it is becoming a little bit more trendy, I think, to write the letters. Um, oh, okay. I as, didn't know that. Uh, just to, uh, in talking with the Realtor, they're just saying, you know, n- now that it's worked a couple of times, more and more people are just kind of making it a standard suggestion to the buyers. Um, it's still up to the buyers to sit down and actually write it, you know, and, and write a good letter, you know, one that's kind of from the heart, I guess. But um, that was that's just it. You know, it really does. And I'm sure the words came through so they could feel the emotion. Well, I, t- I tell you this, Matt, it was kind of funny. And then um, and then we, we can get to our listener questions for the day, I guess, here in a moment. But this is fun talking about. Hopefully it's interesting to listen to. I will say this. When I sat down to write the letter, I was very skeptical and I sat down and almost did it out of obligation just because the Realtor had asked, and it was more of a shot in the dark of like, okay, well, I'll just write a little something and send it in. It won't make that big of a difference. And I actually wrote the first draft like that, and then I kind of reevaluated and said, you know what? Take a totally different head approach to this. Rather than viewing it as just a shot in the dark and a, and a, you know, a who knows kind of thing, actually sit down and write something meaningful and, and really think about what you're putting on the paper and speak from the heart, you know, as goofy as that might sound. And I think that's what really worked. I went back to the drawing board and totally redid the mentality of the letter to saying, no, this is actually going to be something that matters. And switching that mentality around ended up paying, you know, paying huge dividends, I think. You know, that actually takes me, uh, we might never get to the question today. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we do our whole podcast on this and we'll push the questions to the next one. Well, it, it got me thinking about, we had a question quite a while ago on, you know, when does it make sense to really allow emotions to come into different financial decisions? And clearly this is a financial decision, not only for you, but for the seller. And what you just were talking about in changing your mindset on being able to go from being skeptical to really sitting down and like talking from your heart along with your wife collectively. But when we think about starting a financial plan is many times that can be, or I I find that sometimes people think that can be sterile or they're skeptical. I mean, I think that's pretty common in our industry where our industry has allowed that to happen for various reasons over the course of the last 40, 50, 60 years. But Eventually, the clients that we work with that really get to a point where they can recognize, like, for instance, let's say they're four or five years from retirement, is taking the time to, quote, fill out the financial needs questionnaire and then looking at the budget. And then usually what I do or what I like to do is turn around and be able to ask, what's the money for? You know, I did one quite a while ago talking about the idea of save it or spend it and enjoying life. And I just sat with a client yesterday and they've been with us now, I believe eight years. And I put this whole list together. Like this is when you came in eight years ago, this was your initial thought. 
And look at where, with the different planning that we've done over the course of year over year over year, look at what has happened on the back end. And she looked at me and she was, as a matter of fact, when her actual comment was, that's me? That's me right there? <laughs> wow. And, you know, but when I can remember when they first came in, especially meeting with him, is he kind of had that thought that you just talked about. It was very sterile. He was skeptical. And it was through asking the right questions and in some cases getting emotional. What do we want that money to do? Yeah, we don't. I mean, obviously, we want to mitigate or save on taxes. We want to have the right investments. But a lot of times it just comes down to the emotional aspect of what am I going to do? What do I want this for? And kind of the financial plan, I believe, is very similar to what the transaction that you're getting ready to go through. I think you said you're. Your closing date is early August. Yeah, yeah, in mid-August time frame. So we're, we're, we're not quite there yet as the recording of this podcast, but hopefully we get there. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, but but then that, that process that you're going to go through in developing that relationship, starting with the idea of being very skeptical with the letter to then pouring your heart out in the letter to then getting a letter back from the sellers and going through purchasing the home and then looking one to five years later and then thinking, wow, that was us. Yeah, that's a you good know? point. Looking I think, back like that. You know, thinking, and I just thought about this because they were in yesterday and I, I thought it was, quite frankly, I started kind of chuckling when she said that. That's us. And I mean, her name was right there. <laughs> I should say their <laughs> name. And she's like, that's us. And, you know, but then over the course of that, that eight years is the continual sitting down, asking the questions, being real, and making sure that we're really getting to the root of the right question, and most importantly, the answer, to then be able to do the necessary things financially to achieve what it is. I heard someone tell me a long time ago, you know, it's not just about the money. The money allows you to have freedom and choices and things like that. And that is what makes the life. It's not necessarily the money. I like how you put that. I'll add this on too. Maybe this takes you in a, in another direction here. And I think you're right. Maybe we just make this the, this is the podcast today. Hope you, <laughs> hope, hope you enjoy it. You know, you talk about the emotions and it, I was amazed by what happened to our emotions. This all happened very quickly, by the way. So I was very amazed by the emotions that we went through in this process because we had been looking at homes not only in this area but all over the country for quite some time. I'd say over a year we'd been, you know, just doing the Zillow searches, and we had a couple of different searches set up to where it would automatically email us new homes that matched kind of the parameters that we were looking for. And part of that was just kind of a fun thing to do, just to kind of look and, you know, give you something to daydream about every once in a while here and there. But also it was good research to kind of know what does a home look like that, you know, okay, this is a really good home. I was able to say six months before we put an offer on this home, find one that was similar in terms of checking all the boxes that we liked and say, okay, what's the price point? Where's the location? How long does it stay on the market? What does it eventually sell for in relation to the list price? Did it have multiple offers put on the home? And trying to kind of keep track of that stuff, not anything overboard with like a spreadsheet or something, but just anecdotally kind of getting a sense for, What's the right way to approach the home so that when we do get into the game and ready to buy, we know what's a good one. We know which one to go all in on, and we know which one that let's not overspend for this home. There's going to be another one just like it a week later. And so that homework ended up being very essential because we knew when this one came on the market, the pictures that they had taken of the home, with all due respect, were not great. 
In fact, we'd actually come across the home about two weeks before we went and looked at it, and I put it in the no pile because oh, the, wow. the pictures of the home were just not great. They were they were really bad. The way they took the picture of the front of the home made it look like the paint was peeling off, and they took it. Uh, there was so much shade in at the angle that they took it of the home, it just looked like it was kind of this puke green color. And in person, it's this beautiful yellow. And then the the shots Isn't that, they, that interesting. the shots they took of the inside of the home were just kind of of weird angles, and they didn't highlight any of the great features of the property and any of that kind of stuff. And so we actually circled back around, went through our no pile, circled back around and looked through those again to see if, you know, as you start looking at homes for real, you, you start kind of getting that thought of, okay, maybe I was being too critical when we were first looking at homes, or my filter was pulled up too high or wasn't pulled up high enough. And so you kind of go comb back through them as what we were doing. And so I kind of pulled it back out, and I kind of just threw it into the list of uh, on one one Sunday afternoon, I went with the realtor to look at three other houses and then I said, uh, since we're going to be out in this direction, let's peek at this one too. And then once I saw it in person, it was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is the house. And um, so we got Connie back out there, and then uh, and then got my dad to come back because dad's really good with you know he's been he's worked in pest control his entire life as, and manages a pest control company you know a couple hours away from from where we live. So he came up one afternoon after work and uh, just to take a look at the house with us one more time before we decided to put the offer on it, just to look at some of the things because it was it needed some fixing up. And so I wanted to get his opinion on some things. And this is this is what I'm getting at. Long story short, the intersection of the emotions and then the practical and the business approach, because he looked at it and was able to and he and, you know, he was able to kind of take this totally different approach of not having an emotional attachment at all and say, all right the soffits are damaged because the gutters have been clogged up for too long and it rotted out some of the soffits, you know, they're going to need repair. You're going to need new flooring, new paint throughout the entire house because that needs to be upgraded. You're falling in love with the fireplace, but there's a wood stove insert. You don't even know if the fireplace is in working order based on how, you know, how old it looks. The screens on the porch are damaged. You're going to have to be able to fix that. The roof looks like it's probably, you know, a little bit older and nearing the end of its lifestyle. You need to start thinking about, you know, you're, you're doubling your home size. You're going to have to start thinking about increased costs on this. You can see that the windows are probably all going to need to be replaced over the course of the next five to ten years. So you've got to start budgeting for that. You know, he just starts listing out all of these things. And then so now you're, you're trying to be very practical and it's clashing with the emotions. and You're trying to figure out the best thing to do, you know. And so it, what I was amazed at was how our emotions went crazy when someone came in and gave you the practical standpoint. And so I actually talked to the realtor and gave a really low ball offer because I was trying to take a bunch off the price for all these things that, you know, dad had kind of pointed out and we were taking all these things into account. And this is key too. Lots of lessons to be learned in here. And I'm sorry if I'm rambling a little bit, but um, no, keep going. the realtor pushed back. And I think it was really wise on, on her part to push back on us. And she was just very honest. And she said, if you want to put in an offer like that, we'll put in that offer. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to win the home with that offer. And she's like, I, I just don't want you to waste everybody's time. I mean, she was very direct in basically saying, you're wasting everyone's time if that's the offer that we're presenting. So we got a little lucky because what happened was we thought we were going to have to put in our offer that night because everybody else, there were a couple of other offers that the realtor said were coming in. And if, if it had been that night, I think our offer would have been way too low and we wouldn't have gotten the home. But we were able to wait a couple of days because the sellers were actually out of the country. 
when all these offers came in. And so they said, okay, we're actually going to decide later in the week on Thursday, we'll make a, we'll, they'll be back in town. We'll make a final decision. So it gave us another two and a half days or so to kind of analyze, think, process, let the emotions settle down and really kind of put some hard thought into everything. And that ended up making all the difference. I think we found an offer that we were comfortable with that, you know, wasn't overpaying, but also wasn't a low ball. I think that combined with, you know, the letter ended up kind of leading us to, you know, being able to win the bid on the home and, you know, now going down this down this road. And we're going in with eyes wide open. You know, Dad helped us do that, but we made a strong offer with the uh, recommendations of the Realtor, and yet our emotions are still super excited going into the process. And I think we were able to kind of strike a nice balance on all of those things. But it took listening to all of those different parties to kind of help us get to that point. So I think there's lots of lessons in there. Well, good night, because I'm going to jump on it right now. I've been writing <laughs> notes as you've been going. This is great. Go for it. And just so this is a so one of the things I think that's so interesting, if we can compare this to, quote, financial planning, asset management, planning for retirement, what have you, is the idea of what you said that the initial angle of the pictures made the paint look flaking. Right. Yeah. Like a puke green. Yep. Right. The pictures had too much shade on various areas of the property. And so you had to go and actually look at what was reality. So now you're looking at it through a different lens. You're because you were out looking at other things. Okay, let's go take a look at it. And then all of a sudden you walk onto this and you're like, good night. This isn't anything like what I expected. And I think sometimes that yeah, the, can be the, uh, it, maybe. If, let, let me throw in real quick. The flaking was just knots in the wood. And it, so it's actually just the character of the wood. It was just knots in the wood. And in person, it looks fine. It was just simply in the way that the picture had been taken. There's a beautiful Japanese maple right in front of the home that if they had just taken the shot from about 10 feet out, you could have included you could have included this beautiful <laughs> tree in front of the home. In the back, there's this uh, awesome tiered garden that they put a lot of effort into creating. Beautiful tiered garden. And at the top, there's a koi pond. And he built a waterfall that comes from the koi pond and it splits into two diverting paths, winds its way through the tiered garden before dropping down with like a, a little bit of a wave over, uh, you know, like a lapping wave over top of a, into a, like a canister down at the bottom of the tiered garden, then recycles back up to the top. And like none of that was in any of the pictures. Like one of the most beautiful oh parts of the home with all the flowers and hydrangeas and all these beautiful things that they'd done there. And there were no pictures of it. And then when you see it in person, you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. <laughs> and so I'll go back to the client that was just in yesterday and her making the comment, oh my gosh, is that me? And do they realize that they had all of that beautiful scenery right there and they didn't even take pictures of it? Like maybe if someone had come in, a professional photographer, and taken the pictures and then posted it like it was a different listing somewhere else, would they have been, wow, look how awesome that is, not even recognizing it was theirs? I think the home would have been gone. I don't think it would have I don't I don't think it would have still been on the market when we started looking. I think it would have been gone oh much faster. Goodness. And so here's the next thing I thought was interesting is that you brought in practical dad. Right. Yep. You brought in practical I, dad. I know the realtors sure. hate that. The realtors hate when that somebody brings in their dad or an outside party and start getting opinion. That's but right. I respect everything that man has to say, so I'm gonna get his opinion if I can get it. <laughs> and not only that, he came in and he was able to put, quote, as you said, the business aspect to buying the home. So you had an understanding on what the necessary costs, the upgrades, can you do certain things? 
And if we think about in financial planning or retirement planning, that's kind of like assets versus budget. What's our wants? What can we really do? Mm -hmm. Right. Making sure that we're having that, that rubber meets the road discussion. And then your realtor did the same thing, the pushback when you wanted to do a lowball offer. And she said, don't waste everyone's time. Yep. Don't do it. Right. Yep. It's kind of the same thing. Sometimes I've had people sit in the office that, quite frankly, had their expectations on what they thought their retirement was going to look like did not match up with their income streams and their assets that they had. And so then it's like, hey, listen, you don't want to get into retirement and six years after retirement, go back to work. That might be a little difficult. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that this whole this whole storytelling, this conversation, it really lends to the idea of sometimes emotions are good. And I think you guys, based on everything you're saying, I think you're going to be what did you call it? You said that's the, it's the forever house. Well, right? I, I don't think we'd have bought the home if we only wanted to be in there for five to ten years. I think that's what it right. came down to. When we bought our first home, we knew that that was a five-year home, and it's going to have ended up being almost exactly six years probably by the time we sell it. We bought it in September, you know, five, almost six years ago, and by the time we get to selling it, it'll probably be about end of August or September. And so it, that worked out exactly according to plan. We knew that going into it. And we've lived the last six years knowing that we were going to resell it. So the only upgrades we've really made to the home are things that we will, you know, make it more attractive to the next buyer. But this home, I don't think we would have bought it if that was the case, because I don't know if we'd be able, because of the amount of work we'll have to put into it, I don't know if we'd get it back out in that short period of time. But because we are now going in with the approach that that's going to be a place where we live for quite a long time, our decisions are totally different. We're going to make decisions that aren't so much on, well, it needs to be good for resale. No, we're going to make decisions because that's where we want to live. So that's where we're going to give a little bit on tr not viewing this as an investment and view it more of the, it's more of, a, of that want if you were comparing it to retirement. This is more of a, no, we're willing to take a hit on this probably being a good thing for resale because this is how we want to live in the home. You know, So our choices will play out that way a little bit more on certain things. Oh my gosh, it gets better. Like, like this thing could go on for, so if we think about smart money questions, the idea of you guys had to really sit down when you found this and you're looking at it. But even before that, you had to come up with the, the questions to ask and the answers. How long are we going to be here? You were talking about maybe moving to Maine, the beach out West. And now you've decided through various questions that you guys went through to make sure, you know what, we're going to be here in it's Raleigh, right? Yeah, in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. We're going to be here in Raleigh for quite a while. So now you're looking more at the the purpose of the money is for the lifestyle that that home is going to create not only for you, but then future kids and et cetera, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be the main point. And um, I don't know if you want to take it even a step further. We ran into another challenge with this whole thing and, and are going through it right now, I suppose you could say. So the traditional approach, Matt, would obviously be that I think for a lot of folks, you sell your current home and then move into your, into your new home after you sell it, and you try and make all that timing work out. What we've decided to do, because Connie is still going through grad school, and it's a little bit tough to be really disruptive to her in terms of you know, trying to get people in for showings and the upgrades that we need to make to our current home before we list it on the market and all that kind of stuff. That was going to be a really hard thing to do. And then we've got about a month in August where she won't have school, but then she'll start grad school again her final year in the fall. And so it's kind of this conversation of, well, what happens if we sell our home, but we don't find a, a new home 
because, you know, the market down here is really tight right now. What happens if we don't find that next home? And now we have to, what, move into a hotel, temporary housing. We've got two dogs. How do we juggle all of that? It started to get pretty stressful and seem very, um, you know, it's like something we weren't going to be able to pull off. But because the last six years we've been paying extra on our mortgage every single month, we've built up a nice amount of equity in the home. So what we're actually doing is tapping into a home equity line of credit to pay the down payment on the new home. And then immediately we'll pay it right back off once the current home sells, which based on everything in the market, it should sell relatively quickly. And then, you know, then we'll be in the new home. We'll have been able to move over the course of a week or two while we're getting the current home prepared for market. And then we'll be able to show it without any hassle of having to be out of the home all the time because it'll be empty. And uh, anyway, that's how we decided to, to go about it. But it was a whole other way of looking at how to make the transaction happen that was convenient. And it kind of fits right back into that emotional side of things. This is the conversation that keeps on giving. I can't make this up. <laughs> I had a client in yesterday and we were going over a review and they had mentioned that they were looking to buy a beach home and possibly move there full time. And I had mentioned to them right before they said that, that I, I would suggest right now we take some money out. You know, either we Roth convert it or go spend it, what have you. And they brought up, well, you know, we've been considering this. And I went down the process of, well, I think in the long run, doing a Roth conversion and using your home ec line to buy the new one and then sell the one you're in when you decide to and then pay off the beach home being down there. I mean, it just, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> yep. It gets a little bit creative. I mean, that solution for us, you know, wouldn't work in a lot of situations um, mm -hmm. in a lot of other markets, but we just happen to be, I think it's a good example of using the opportunity, the situation that we currently find ourselves in to our advantage. So, you know, yeah. maybe that would have been really hard to do in any other climate, but because we bought when the market was pretty low, we're going to see a nice increase in the value of that home. And it, we, we never tried to time the market, but it's worked out this way. You know, we have the ability to sell this home after we buy the new home. Why not take advantage of that of that opportunity? Obviously, we need to put in some safeguards just in case the worst happens. And we, for some reason, we can't sell our home our current home. We feel relatively safe on that front. Other homes in our neighborhood have been selling in like two to three days. So it's been a pretty hot market in our neighborhood. And it's in a price point where there's not a lot of homes in that price point. So people are very hungry to get into homes like that. So I think we're going to be okay there. But, you know, we had to make sure that even if the worst happened, can we support the two mortgages at the at the same time for a period of time while while these things are overlapping? And so, you know, you put in some of those fail safes, some of those backup plans, and that that's sort of the emergency fund, the due diligence that you've got to be thinking about. And it's going through not only so you're not trying to time the market, but you're also making sure that you're looking at, as you said, what are the opportunities that we have available to us right now, and what's the most effective and efficient way to make this transaction happen while we are potentially still keeping the two homes in flux because of the situation that you have where your wife is in grad school. I, I just think it's, once again, no pun intended, asking those smart money questions as to what are the opportunities that we have and then taking advantage of them. Yeah, that's very true. I think this has been the biggest benefit of it all. And, and maybe this is where, uh, you know, maybe a good wrapping point here, Matt. It's that element, the questions. I've asked a billion questions throughout this entire process and still feel like I haven't asked enough. 
And I think just asking as many questions as you can possibly think of, covering all your angles, asking if you need to multiple experts for their opinion or asking, uh, you know, getting same principle as getting multiple quotes on a project. You know, get a couple of different quotes from different companies. You may be surprised in how far apart their their offers are, but don't just take the, the lowest one. Maybe there's extra value in taking the, the, the middle approach. Ask a lot of questions. What's going to give you the edge? What's going to put you in the best position for your particular situation? Make sure that the advice you're getting is truly tailored to your situation. And I think that doesn't happen unless you kind of are your own advocate and ask the questions that need to be asked. Right. Keep doing the research. So, yeah. Well, we, we kind of did turn this podcast into me being the interviewer and you being the answerer, right? <laughs> yeah, we, car- we carried it all the way through. That was pretty good. <laughs> uh, 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 completely ad-lib. Well, then I'll let you finish it up. There we go. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go back into host <laughs> mode. How about that? Well, a- as you can see, lots of parallels between these two stories. If you know, asking smart money questions is something that you're interested in, you could talk about – I think this is the neat thing about you, Matt. Maybe I'll throw it back at you one more time. Is It's not just about – What's the best stock to be in? And I know we kind of come back to this a lot on the podcast, but if you're new, I mean, this is this is our mantra. It's it, that the, the financial picture, your retirement, it's not just about what's the best investment. It's considering all these different moving parts. And I know that you take a lot of pride, Matt, in helping people kind of navigate through these kinds of scenarios. If you've got a client that's going through you know, a home purchase, like you gave a couple of examples, you're going to talk to them about those kinds of things and analyze how it fits in to the context of the rest of their financial plan. And I think that's something that not everybody who calls themselves a financial advisor is going to do. Well, and you know, one of the things I think I pride myself on with regards to that is the the finances are obviously a huge part of it, but it's, you know, we all want to have a great quote lifestyle and it's really being able to ask the questions to get to the heart of whatever that is. You know, you and I were just talking before we were recording on the vacation that my family and I are getting ready to go on and, and a spot that we decided not to go and you were giving me some suggestions, you know, that's what it's really all about. And how you design your quote financial plan, your retirement plan, what that's going to look like. I really think that that's one of the things that is really integral in, in designing what that plan is going to look like financially is a lot of it is what do you want it to look like? What do you want your retirement to be. I think those questions are just as important as to what stock, what portfolio, you know, life insurance, emergency funds, all of that goes into play. I think it all is a big, a big circle that needs to be uh, connected. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. One last behind the scenes moment for you uh, listening to the show today, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. Matt really does ask smart money questions himself, so he practices what he teaches. We were talking about his upcoming vacation, and I realized as I was just kind of throwing out some suggestions that he was like writing all of them down. He takes notes on pretty much everything and, and collects <laughs> collects all the information. So be careful what suggestions you give him because he he's going to remember that it was you because he'll be like, "Let me see." I pull out my notebook. Walter suggested I go here, and uh, he made these comments at this time. Yes, Walter, we did go there, and we didn't like it. Bad suggestion. 
I'm, I'm now really hoping the suggestions I gave him, if if you do them, Matt, will uh, will be worth. I gave him a suggestion of a of a walk down the beach. I hope I didn't accidentally send you on like a 13 mile walk in the hot sun with <laughs> nowhere right. to get a bottle of water or something like that. But uh, it's too funny. Well, if you want to ask your own smart money questions, as always here on the show, we offer the opportunity to do that. Although we totally failed in answering our original plan was to answer some of your smart money questions on the show today. But don't worry, <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to them. We'll do that next. You know, in in, in two weeks, we'll get to those next questions. If you want to ask your own smart money questions to Matt, though, you can do that a couple of ways. You can call the old-fashioned way, 610-719-3003. You can find Matt online, smartmoneyquestions.com. That's smartmoneyquestions.com. On the website, you'll see past blogs and uh, podcasts and lots of great information there as well, some videos, learn about upcoming events, and you can even get in touch with Matt there through the website. That's smartmoneyquestions.com. A couple of different ways for you to get in touch. Well, Matt, thanks for letting me be the star of the show this week, I guess. That Absolutely. Was, that was kind of I enjoyed fun. it. <laughs> it was a good time. We will look forward to talking to you all next time on Smart Money Questions. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.